then now I never do a PowerPoint, let alone two PowerPoints in the same day, all right? But you're spoiled today, all right? I don't normally do this, and I don't necessarily think you're going to see too many more, so don't get your hopes up, all right? Uh, but if you would, grab your Bibles tonight and turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, this morning, I hope this morning helped you out. Um, I know it was a lot of information. I had a lot of people ask me uh, for the notes. I have more notes than what you just saw up on the screen. And uh, I've had some people ask for that PowerPoint. I'm going to send those out. So if you do give me your email, I may give you some more files on top of that. If you want the other notes, I can do it. That's not a problem. All right. Uh, some of them are handwritten. So they look like my handwriting. So you'll have to, you know, figure out hieroglyphics and get it all squared away. But um, I'm, sure, I'm sure most of it will be legible. And uh, so we were talking about the dispensations. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that Old Testament versus New Testament is very different. Uh, our salvation versus theirs and how all those pieces work. And the dispensations are there. We were talking about this morning, if you weren't here, uh, we were talking about how God dispenses these rules for mankind to learn and to be able to have a relationship with God. It is how they get a relationship with Him. And throughout those dispensations, God moves the rules and He moves the bar a little bit and He makes it so that ultimately all of mankind's excuses when they step in front of Him as to why they did not succeed are all eliminated. Uh, up to and including and finally Job's statement about God that God is not a man. And Jesus Christ becomes a man and He lives a perfect sinless life and dies to pay the debt of all of our sins. Now, there's a, there's a statement that gets made uh, about our Old Testament saints that we talk about. And the statement is that in the Old Testament, they got saved looking forward to the cross. And in the New Testament, we get saved looking back to the cross. Now, there's some very odd statement there. Uh, I mentioned it this morning. In the Old Testament, they don't know the name of Jesus. His name doesn't show up. Uh, he, is, he is not named then. And we understand in the New Testament, you don't get salvation, real salvation, without the name of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so what I wanted to do tonight, and I wasn't planning on this, so I apologize, these aren't as, as well documented as this morning's slides, uh, but uh, tonight I want to talk about these three days and three nights. Jesus Christ is sealed within the tomb, we understand that. Uh, he is sealed in the tomb for three days and three nights, and He uh, is just, you know, taking a nap or what? Uh, no, uh, John Matelski, I mentioned it this morning, asked me, this is one of the first questions, if not the first question he asked me at discipleship, what is Jesus doing for three days and three nights? What's the point? Why didn't he just die for our sins and come back up and be done? But who needs three days and three nights? He doesn't need three days and three nights to prove he's God. So what's he doing? Well, the answer is very important, and it doesn't really get talked about much. And uh, you could say, well, this is all theory, and it doesn't sound great, but uh, I think I got more than enough Scripture piled on here, and uh, Lord willing, 
It'll help you out tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Notice what Jesus says here in verse number 39. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. It's actually on the screen as well. But, uh, but he answered and said unto them, Jesus speaking, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. That'd be Jonah of the Old Testament. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, the greater than Jonas is here. So Jesus shows up and his statement is that the one thing you're going to get from me is you're going to get three days and three nights. The Son of Man is going to go down into the heart of the earth. That's where he's going to go. And so here he comes. And this ultimately, these three days right here, these three days and three nights, they are going to answer the one question that most people would have. The Old Testament saint, what happens to them when they die? What do they get as salvation? And how do they get the idea of eternal life? That's the wonder. See, the answer to that question that people want to give is, well, they must have been looking forward to the cross. Almost died right there. Good night. I'm saved, so if I died, I'd be fine. Um, thanks, Jude. I appreciate that. You're saved. It's okay. Um, if you'd have died right here in the middle of the message, um, everybody would be like, where's his notes so I can figure out the answers to all those questions he just asked. Um, quick uh and so here we are and the the old testament saints what happens to them and and the answer that some give is well they've got to figure it out because ultimately they understand you can't get salvation without jesus christ so they know all the same verses that we know and we'll cover some of those so the answer they must give is this well they must have looked forward to the cross and understood it the difficulty you have with that viewpoint is this Nobody understood it. The disciples don't understand it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees don't understand it. They can't figure out, know you not, that the Messiah must suffer these things? And the answer is, no, we didn't know that. What are you talking about? What do you mean he's supposed to suffer? What do you mean? I thought he was bringing in a kingdom. That's what all, all the nation of Israel thinks, is Jesus must bring in a kingdom. The, the Messiah is supposed to bring in the kingdom. And thusly, what is he doing? If he dies, he can't bring in a kingdom. So they get this look. You say, yeah, but they prophesied all about it. Of course they did. Of course they prophesied. You realize that there's still prophecies in the Bible that aren't done? Is it because everybody knew what they were talking about? You really think John at the Revelation is writing the Revelation or understands what in the world he's writing? You and I can't figure out what John wrote in some of them places. And you think John had that all put together knows exactly what's going on. We obviously understand that God puts prophecy in the Bible that the man writing it doesn't really know what he's doing. Because holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Whether they understood it or not, they penned the words that God told them to write. That's how you get the revelation of the Scriptures. Because let's face it, you and I don't understand everything in the book. 
And the men writing didn't understand everything they were writing. And so you get the answers. But the question comes, ultimately, what were they seeing, but what were they doing, and where did they go when they die if they don't have heaven like you and I? And so let's look at some things tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll look into these things. Father, I do thank you for the night, and I thank you once again for the salvation that you brought to us. I mentioned it this morning. uh, The greatest dispensation to live in is right now. The free gift of eternal life given to us, the grace of a holy God without the works of the, of the law and the deeds of our righteousness. Father, we love you and we do pray you would bless our night tonight. Help me to have a lot of wisdom as I speak and help me to say only the things needed to be said, nothing more and nothing less. That Jesus Christ would be praised and the word of God would be magnified. And Lord, if someone here doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray tonight would be the night and they'd call upon him. Lord, we love you and we pray you would bless every bit of the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first question that comes up ultimately is this, uh, what is salvation? We use the word salvation, we, we make statements like the Old Testaments are saved by works. And that's true, but the salvation of the Old Testament is not the salvation of the New Testament. We use that word saved, but the question is, well, what do I mean when I use the word saved? Uh, you realize I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use something that everybody I met with about baptism got to hear. You realize baptism, to most people, if I say the word baptize, they automatically go water. But you realize in the scriptures, baptism rarely means water. It's often talking about the spiritual immersion that you got at salvation. It's totally different. If you don't know what that means, ask Pastor Legault. And i got to get him before he goes out of town. He's going out of town in a couple weeks, so load him up with questions, okay? Um, and so, uh, bapti- so the question comes, well, what is the definition for the word? Because it can be used in different ways at different times, right? You witness to somebody, you're talking to them, you ask them if they're saved, and their answer is, well, yeah, I almost died that one time. Anybody ever heard that? I've, I've had that told me. Yeah, I almost died in a car accident, Lord saved me. Uh, he saved you from a car accident. He didn't save you from hell for all of eternity. Right? The question, well, what do you mean by saved? In the Old Testament, the question of salvation shows up. Well, what is salvation in the Old Testament? Well, if they do everything in their dispensation that they are supposed to do, they are guaranteed to not go to a place called hell that is burning fire. That portion of hell is not where they go. Say, why? Well, because how could a just God give them the rules? They followed the rules and they end up over in a lake of, in a burning fire. <laughs> well, that's not a just God. But the other problem that they have is that they also can't enter into a sinless heaven. Look over at Revelation chapter 21. We're going to turn a lot more than we did this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, you have the New Jerusalem, ultimately the third heaven. And as they look at the third heaven, here they are. And in Revelation chapter 21, you find out who is allowed in. Verse number 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now here they are, and uh, you've got the Lamb's Book of Life. 
the Old Testament saying, how do you get into a book when the lamb hasn't been slain yet? They're not in it. They haven't done what needs to be done. Say, how do you know that? Look over at Hebrews chapter 10. The only way to get into a sinless heaven is to be sinless. Right? That's it. The only way to get in. You have to match the righteousness of God. Well, that's what you and I get at salvation, isn't it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You and I got the righteousness of God in Him. And so when we got saved, we got God's righteousness by calling upon Jesus Christ because He paid the debt of our sins. And uh, He says here in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. All the Old Testament law did was make a covering for sin. But it couldn't take it away. The blood of bulls and goats isn't clean enough to take away the sin that they have committed. There's only one thing in the universe that is clean enough to wash a man of their sins. 1 John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We can have our sins completely cleaned and removed and made pure, and you and I can get the righteousness of God because of that. But the Old Testament saint doesn't get God's righteousness. And I automatically know what you say. You say, well, Abraham uh, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay. There's a word missing. When you and I got saved, we got the righteousness of God. What righteousness did Abraham get? It doesn't say he got God's righteousness. It said he believed God and he was counted righteous for doing that. So what does that mean? That means he did what his dispensation commanded him. He did right. So he was righteous. Abraham's salvation is not your salvation. It is not the same. The demonstration of his salvation is not the same. We saw it over and over and over and over this morning. If you weren't here, you missed it. You can go ahead and listen. I'll give you the slides. You can go ahead and take care of it. The truth is that Jesus Christ, you can keep reading, I won't read all the verses, but uh, look at verse number 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You say, what did Jesus do? He did everything that the blood of bulls and goats could never do. He made one sacrifice that the priest would make continually. He turns around and says, I'll be the great high priest that offers one sacrifice good enough forever for every man's sin. That's a huge difference. 
between the two. So because they cannot go to the third heaven, the question then is, where do they go? (laughs) What happens to these people? Uh, In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on them and it leaves them. That's not what you've got. You've got, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians chapter 4. You and I have the earnest of the inheritance and there's a million other verses that we can go by. The Old Testament salvation is not the same as ours. Uh, Saul is a great example. 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 6, you can write it down if you want to look at it. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul. And by 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14, it leaves him. Not one time in your life has the Spirit of God come upon you and then decided He's going to go. He indwells you and He seals you and He stays with you forever when you trusted Christ. Our salvation is a totally different salvation than theirs. Our salvation, New Testament salvation, you are not condemned just like they're not condemned. You aren't going to be dropped into hell. But you are guaranteed to step into the third heaven as a resident. That is going to be yours. The kingdom of God is yours. Guaranteed, you have a promise that they don't have. Titus chapter 1, of course. In hope of eternal life, that God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God gave us eternal life. They don't have that guarantee in the Old Testament. It comes and goes. David was concerned about it in Psalm 51. Even though he had it in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he, lo- he was worried he was going to lose it in Psalm 51. After his transgressions and sins. I don't worry about losing the Holy Spirit. I don't worry about losing eternal life. I don't worry about any of those things. Because you and I were given the righteousness of God upon belief in Jesus Christ. So the salvation is different. So because that salvation is different, you and I have this question that comes up. Well, where did they go? Where did the Old Testament saints end up? Well, look over at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Everybody else really warm? I am dying. I'm taking my coat off. I don't even, I don't do this either, but I'm doing it. Um, it is warm in here. Please don't go to sleep. I know the lights are dimmed and it's nice and comfy now. It's warm. I forgot. I forgot one wonderful thing. We turned the baptistry on and I didn't turn the heat down. It's been warm all week and then we put a giant heated pool in. So it uh, got a little more humid and steamy and warm in here and I'm dying. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse number 19 There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. 
And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And of course, you know what happens? He prays that, the, that Abraham would send somebody back and go ahead and witness, and they won't believe Moses and the prophets. They aren't going to believe if one rose from the dead. Jesus proves that a little while later. Now, here's the thing. Everybody goes, well, that's a parable. It didn't say it was a parable. That's number one on the list. It just didn't say it was a parable. Not only that, Jesus doesn't use names in parables. You say, yeah, but he didn't name the rich man. That's because the lost he doesn't remember. He doesn't need to remember that guy's name. Instead, he remembers Lazarus. And he puts his name in a book. How about that? But notice, Lazarus doesn't go to the third heaven. But he doesn't go to hell either. The rich man does, but Lazarus doesn't. You say, where does he go? He goes to a place called Abraham's bosom. It's a pretty good name for it. He goes there. Now, it's odd because uh, you've got hell on one side. You've got a great gulf dividing these two halves of ultimately the heart of the earth, the inside structure of the earth. By the way, this only works if the earth is a sphere. And so you've got Abraham's bosom. And on that side, he's comforted. Look over at Luke chapter 23. You're not that far from it. Luke chapter 23. Where'd Jesus say he was going to go when he died? Three days and three nights, the heart of the earth. He's going inside the earth. That's, he, he told you geographically where everything was. And he says this, uh, of course, you've got the thief on the cross, verse 39. Right? One of the malefactors is railing on him. The other one rebukes him in verse 40. Verse 42, he says this, Jesus, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Where's Jesus about to go? Today. Right here. I, this is crucifixion. Before the end of the day, where is he? He's in the heart of the earth by the end of the day. They're taking him down. They're entombing him. They're putting him in the ground. He is done. He is all right. They're sealing him in. And they're putting the guards out. And they're getting everything squared away. Because three days, this guy said he was coming back out. So where does he say he's going? He says he's going to paradise. the other name for Abraham's bosom. That's pretty simple to figure out. So how do you know that? Because the other side's not paradise. There's only two options. You realize God never changes that there's always two options? You and I look at it now and our answer is you're either going to heaven, third heaven, or you're going to hell, right? When you die, you're going one of two places. Old Testament, it was the same way. The only problem was he can't let them into a sinless heaven. They're not perfect. They're not sinless. They're not clean. They're not righteous. They're not the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, you say, where did he go? He, do, we, do we all not think that Jesus was one of the Old Testament saints, right? Uh, he's still under the Old Testament mo mode, right? He fulfills all the law and the prophets. 
He, he suffers the eternity of hell on the cross. That's where he, he's punished for our sins. Jesus Christ is not punished for our sins by going into a lake of fire inside the earth. That doesn't work. Instead, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was, that was all up here. That was all at Calvary and leading up to Calvary. He deposits what needs to be deposited on one side. He lands, of course, in paradise and he is protected and secured. But what's he doing there for three days? Just hanging out? Having a good time? Well, look over at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm hoping Brother Stiles gives you some light duty next Sunday, all right? If your brain's working as much as mine's working. Whew. So what happens those three days before Jesus comes up out of a grave? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So we're talking about His suffering, we're talking about His death, we're talking about the resurrection that's going to come. Verse 19, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And now He's going to talk about those that were disobedient during the flood. And so on. So who's He talking about? He's talking about all those Old Testament folks, and He's pointing all the way back to Noah and beyond. Go and he preached to all those people that were all the way back to the days beyond Noah. And he's preaching to them. Well, what's he preaching? And what do you mean they're in prison? Think about this. What is really prison? Prison is a place you can't get out of, Right? You're kind of trapped in there. And it doesn't have to be miserable for it to be a prison. So they're comforted, but they're still in prison. They can't go anywhere. They can't, they can't go over a cross and be put into hell because they don't deserve it yet. They, they can't be put in heaven because they certainly don't deserve that either. So they're just sitting here in this little holding pattern. You say, man, you're making it possible for the Catholics to have purgatory. Don't worry, no, I don't. You say, what's he doing? None of them are suffering for their sins. That's Catholic purgatory. None of them are over there suffering. They're perfectly comforted. Also, it's not going to be there for very much longer. Don't worry, I'm getting rid of it here in just a moment. And that idea is, where do I put somebody who isn't good enough for heaven, but has done everything I told them to do and followed my commandment, and I can't put them in a lake of fire. I can't put them in hell to burn. Well, I got to put them somewhere, so I'll put them in a place called paradise, and I'll keep them comfortable, and I'll wait until there is something that can change the position that they are currently in. Now, none of these people are looking forward to a cross, but they're all looking forward to something because they're waiting there. They have no idea what it is, and they're waiting, and Jesus shows up. You say, what did he, what did he go ahead and preach to them? Well, look back at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. How many of you 
are really excited when you get a good story. So you tell somebody, and a little while later you tell somebody else the same story, right? And it just gets better every time you tell it, right? Or maybe a little more extravagant, whichever way you want to go. Luke 24, look at verse 25. You've got the disciples, right? These two disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they're going home and Jesus They don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus joins himself to the two of them. And they're walking along and they're heading back home and they're all sad and depressed. And he's trying to figure out, hey, what's wrong? And they go, don't you know? Don't you know our Messiah? Don't you know Jesus? He's dead. He's buried. And we don't know what's going on. And this is awful. And Jesus says in verse number uh, 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and, uh, and to enter into, glo- into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Jesus is there, and you know what He says? He says, hey, I just preached this message for three days. Don't worry, guys. I got all the references still in my brain. And he preaches the same message over again that he just preached to those folks that were sitting there in prison. You know what he did? He walked in and he said, hey, Abraham, you realize that uh, you made that statement walking up. You're getting ready to kill your son. Well, I'm the son of God and God killed me. And God has just provided himself a lamb. He looks over and he says, hey, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, Abraham. And you realize that I know you loved me because you were willing to give up your own son and I gave up my son, Jesus Christ. And now go ahead. He looks over at Isaiah and he says, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities, here I am. He looks over at at David and he says, hey David, you remember when you wrote down those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from me? God God never left you, but he left me. I was forsaken of the Father. The bulls of Bashan compassed me round. And he looks over at Zechariah and he says, hey, You know those 30 pieces of silver you talked about? Don't worry, he paid it. And I paid for you. And over and over and over again, he starts pointing back there and pointing back there and pointing back there. And he just keeps pointing out all the times that Jesus shows up to pay the debt of the sins. He looks over at Moses and he says, Hey, Moses, you remember all those lambs that were slain and they had to be pure and they had to be spotless without blemish and not have any issue? You know, and you had to go ahead and let them get slain and you had to go ahead and make them the offering for sin. Well, I'm, the, I'm your Passover lamb now. Here I am. Over and over and over and over. Could you imagine three days of Jesus preaching on Jesus all the way through the Old Testament? To everybody who's sitting there. I love to hear that. I mean, I got some preachers I love to hear, but I bet Jesus preaching on Jesus be about the best thing you could ever hear in your lifetime. I mean, the preacher of all preachers getting up and preaching on himself, all right? I mean, this is, it's got to be unbelievable. And he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and you say, what is he doing? These folks are trapped, and he's about to get them to figure out whether or not he is everything he says he is or not. And they are left with one final choice. They have three days and three nights to decide. From the time he walked in to the time he is going to walk back out. (laughs) They have three days and three nights to decide if Jesus is everything he says he is or not.
You say, what does he do? Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter, 4, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You have the Apostle Paul here. The Apostle Paul is talking, and I believe he's talking about himself, stoned at Lystra when he uh, dies, the Lord sends him back. And he's talking about himself here in verse number one, I believe, and it is not expedient me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ, saved man, right? He's in Christ. Above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. We know where we are, right? And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was caught up into, what's that next word? Paradise. Wait, I thought paradise was in the heart of the earth. Well, evidently not anymore. Something changed between the time Jesus' crucifixion happens and the time that Paul is writing about going to the third heaven, and he calls it paradise. Look over, uh, let's back this up over to Ephesians chapter 4. A few pages to your right, Ephesians chapter 4. It appears that God has gone ahead and taken Abraham's bosom, that whole side, that whole compartment that was paradise, he took that and he must have removed it from the heart of the earth and moved it to the third heaven. Say, so how do you know that? Because he called it paradise. The Lord is very consistent about these things. Say, so, yeah, but I don't understand how he could have done that. Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We could read a whole bunch, but we're going to jump into a little bit of this here. He's talking about in verse number 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, right? He gets down to verse number uh, 8, and he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high. Ascension of Jesus Christ, right? We're all together on that. So he's talking about. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, he went up, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And then he gives the, some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. for the. So what's he done? Well, first it says he descended into the earth. <laughs> he goes down first. Well, we all knew that. Three days and three nights. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He descends first. But then when he comes up, he's got something with him. He says he led captivity captive. Well, what were they called in 1 Peter chapter 3? They were prisoners. Well, that makes them captives, right? They've been captured somewhere. And God captivates them. He preaches to them. He brings in their attention. And if they choose Him and they want to follow Him, He led captivity captive. 
he goes ahead and takes them with him. Say, what happens if they don't accept him? Same thing that it happens with everybody else who won't accept him. The great gulf is removed. Isaiah chapter 5. Look over at that. Isaiah chapter 5. I wasn't going to turn, but Isaiah chapter 5. Now, this is highly interesting here. Say, so what's going to be interesting about this? Uh, I firmly believe if Jesus Christ would have been accepted as the Messiah, everything would have been different. Israel had free will to choose whether they were going to take him or not take him. They chose to reject him. Notice what he says about this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity... Because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, because they don't have knowledge of Him, because they aren't going to honor Him, because they aren't going to go the direction they are supposed to go, God brings judgment. Part of that judgment is verse number 14. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it, and the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Now, this isn't all of what this is talking about, and it's not even close but, uh, to all that it's talking about, but the statement he's making is a prophetic statement. <laughs> The nation of Israel is turned and they're turned into captivity and they are in trouble and they have gone. And because of the choices they make, they reject God. And in doing so, God says, I've got to extend my timetable. We talked about it this morning, right? You and I are part of what we would deem a parenthetical time. We're outside of what God wanted to do to the nation of Israel. He stepped us out separate for 2,000 years. That means there's 2,000 more years of people making a choice about heaven or hell for all of eternity. And so hell must enlarge itself to take up the capacity it is about to have to gain. The decision is made, and so what does God do? Well, He moves paradise. It's no longer the holding tank. Instead, he removes it. They made the choice. If they choose Jesus Christ, he is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Same choice we make, they get heaven. If they reject, same answer, they get hell. Say, so what's Jesus doing for three days and three nights? He's preaching. He's letting these folks, all these folks that have been in the past, that have done everything they were supposed to do, but they're not good enough to get into a sinless, perfect, clean heaven. Somebody has to get rid of the sin so that they can get in. Oh, it's been covered and oh, it's been taken. And so they've done everything they're supposed to, but they cannot take away their sins. There is no price for their sins, but one price. The answer to the question to what really happens to the Old Testament saint is fulfilled by the time Jesus comes up from a grave. Amen. And when he comes up, they either chose him or they didn't. You say, I, don't, I couldn't imagine anybody rejecting him. Yeah, but you think that now. You think now, you go, how could anybody be so foolish to reject Jesus Christ dying for their sins? 
We think that way all the time. But we've been enlightened to the fact that Jesus Christ is everything he says he is and even better than we could have ever imagined him to be. And he saves us to the uttermost. But if you don't trust in him, he doesn't save you. Now the Old Testament saint does not get saved looking forward to the cross. He doesn't know this is coming. But after it happens, you know what he realizes? Now he's got a choice. But his choice is the choice that he makes after death. This is the only group of people that get to make a different choice after death. But ultimately it's the same choice. They chose to believe God in their life. God counted it for righteousness just like he did Abraham. But he couldn't give them God's righteousness. A just God could not put him in heaven. And he could not put him in a lake of fire. So he had to do something. You realize God always has this wonderful plan that he keeps working? Uh, Look over at Romans. Um, Romans chapter 3. I love this spot in Romans. There are, uh, there are a myriad of verses we could do, and I want to try and wrap this up right here because it's 7 o'clock and I want to be done. All right? But listen, listen to this. God has this whole time, to, right? We're looking at the dispensations. He's got this whole plan that he's running. And he's, he's even got a spot where he says that the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians. He's got such a timetable laid out that he knows when he wants his son to be born and live and be the sacrifice for all of our sins. He's got the whole timetable laid out. And he's looking at the whole timetable. He's got everything in order. He's got everything set up. You say, what's he doing? He's running his own plan. Look at what he says, verse 23 here in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, isn't that the reason for the dispensations? We talked about it this morning. To prove that mankind is short of the glory of God. They never measure up to God's greatness. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. Why? That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You know what Jesus Christ is doing? You know what God's plan was? God cannot be unjust. He can't be. So he's working a system to make it so that he can still be just and still put as many people in heaven for all of eternity as he possibly can. How incredible is it? We talk about a merciful and a loving and a gracious God. You talk about a merciful, loving, and a gracious God. He's rigging the system. You say to do what? To make it as so as many people as can. How do you know that? Because the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's character is, I have to stay just. So what I'll do is I'll find a way to justify. 
everything that I do. And the justification is that Jesus Christ gave his life a ransom for many and was the propitiation for our sins. Well, I can't let those, I can't let those Old Testament saints into heaven. Why? They're not righteous. They don't have the righteousness of God. And the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away their sins, but I promised that if they made the sacrifices, it'd cover them. Well, now what do I do with them? I guess I'll just let them wait until Jesus shows up. And then I'll let them decide if they want the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, to cleanse them from all their sins. That's the only way to explain it. Maybe you got something better, but that's the only way I can see it. Now, I know this isn't like a barnstormer of a message right here. It's probably kind of weird to preach right before a baptism. You know what all this boils down to? One word. Obedience. Obedience to what God says. Obedience to the Word of God. Willing to submit to what God said about it. Not because I told you all these things and how how the dispensations are working and just because I'm so smart and I'm amazing and I made a cool PowerPoint. Actually, it's kind of a lame PowerPoint, but whatever. Um, None of that matters. What matters is what does the Word of God say and are we going to believe it and do what He asked of us? The Old Testament saint, you know what he did for his entire lifetime while he was here? His goal was to obey God and do what he was asked. Christian, you know what your same command is? Obey God and do whatever he asks. You and I have the greatest dispensation ever. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't get it any better. The Old Testament saint, they got an option. Most of them, maybe all of them, I don't know, took advantage of what Jesus Christ did. But the sad reality is we have a world today that is longing and in great need to know that a Savior came into the world. And just like Jesus stood up and preached Jesus to an to a entire room, an entire area of the heart of the earth got to hear what great things Jesus Christ had done to pay the debt of their sins. A world needs to know that Jesus Christ has done all those things for them. It benefits these guys, but it benefited you, and it's a benefit to them if they'd be willing to accept it. The same reason the Old Testament saint didn't get saved by Jesus Christ looking forward to the cross is the same reason a lost world today doesn't know Jesus Christ. How how shall they hear without a preacher? A preacher arrived to Abraham's bosom. His name was Jesus. Would you be a preacher and go ahead and step out and say, you know what, I'll tell them about Jesus. That's what a lost world needs to hear. You can get all the dispensations right and you get all the things in order, but you know what? If If you aren't a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ, you're still missing the boat. Because the Lord saved you to tell somebody about what great things the Lord hath done for you. Now, if you got a question about any of this stuff, you feel free to ask. I'll go ahead and do what I can to answer. But tonight we're going to stand. If you need to use the altar, please come. If you're lost in here without Jesus Christ, There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Not real salvation. 
Not the salvation where you don't have to worry about a lake of fire for all of eternity. Not any other salvation where you don't have to worry about that, but you also don't have to worry about ever spending one moment, ever thinking that the Holy Ghost is left. Not ever spend one moment thinking that you don't have eternal life because Jesus Christ has a perfect salvation for you. I'd ask you to come and we'll show you a Bible. There's plenty of verses on how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. All these folks that are about to get baptized, that baptism is doing them nothing for salvation. Zero. We almost read the verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that baptism doesn't wash away the filth of the flesh. It is only the answer of a good conscience toward God. God told me to do it. I'll obey Him and I'll do it. Christian, I hope you're doing what He commanded. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I hope you're doing it. If you're lost in here tonight, we'd ask you to come. We'll show you out of the word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. We're going to start singing here in a moment. And if you're going to get baptized and you don't need the altar, you can start getting things ready. But if you're in here tonight, please don't leave without Jesus Christ. He'd love to save you. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation now. Work in our hearts, and I thank you so much for a great salvation. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.